The following big interview was posted in full for our socios, our members, our friends, our supporters at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. And that was last season, 2019-20. Sign up there and you'll get every interview we produce before it's released on the main feed, plus the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A. You'll also get bonus content every month, including the audio versions of my regular columns for ESPN. And what's more, you'll be supporting us. You'll be keeping this independent podcast on the road. Thank you. Hello, friends and newcomers. This is The Big Interview with Alex Bruce. Alex and I met not too far from Kamarnik. We spoke about making it all the way to an FA Cup final, which is kind of a loop in the story, given that our story does begin at the FA Cup final, watching his father, Steve, pick up the cup. Alex tells us that he's long made peace with being known as Steve Bruce's son. And I wanted to talk not just about his dad, but about growing up as the son of the Manchester United captain, watching the beginning of that Alex Ferguson era and imagining that one day, Hey, that could be me at Wembley. And it was. Thank you to Alex, a most interesting guest, for taking part in the big interview. I know you'll enjoy this. And there'll be more soon. Stay tuned. The big interview's um, careering journey around Europe continues to certainly, uh, hello Alex Bruce, hello. certainly one of the most glamorous and exotic locations <laughs> that we've ever been. Right now, meteorologically, it, it, the instant I've started speaking, it's changed, but there was kind of, what would you call it Alex, a curtain of grey rain blocking our entire visage Yes, as we look out at this. This is like mission control, isn't it? You, you, we've got a little bit of everything going on here, haven't we? It's like you in the pitch, you've got, you've got, we've got absolute 2020 vision. <laughs> Except for... I don't know about that. I suppose this is a way to say, what the bloody hell are you doing in Scotland? And how quickly do you want to get out? Nothing to do with the club, but boy, oh boy, for a Scot who's been out of his country since about 96, you come back and you're like, is it actually feasible that it's this grey and there's this much it's, rain? It is very grey. There's a lot of rain. I was up at half five this morning driving back. I've had a few days off, so I've been to see my family and... Driving back from Manchester this morning with was... With your heart bursting with yeah, joy was, returning uh, yeah. to this weather, right? <laughs> there was a few questions going on in my mind, I have to be honest. <laughs> it's nice to start with <laughs> honesty. Well, on the basis of um, a few questions going on in your mind, if I gave you sort of 64 times 8 as a question right now, would you A, reach for a calculator, B, have the answer in your head, or would you need to phone Ryan Giggs? <laughs> you picked up on that one then. No, it was, um, I'd definitely be picking a, my, my phone out. It's very, very close to me here, so I'd be getting that out. You're just the only person I've ever met who's taught mathematics by Ryan Gates, and I really, I really think that's quite groovy. Yeah. Do you know something? It was, it was totally... I, was, I just remember being a kid and him being round the corner somewhere. I think he was at Paul Ince's house, and he popped in to see my dad for something. And like most kids sometimes doing the homework with the father, we were, all, we were scratching our heads. My mum and dad I was, went to them for help, and uh, Ryan was there, and he, he helped me out. How, 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 I mean, I'm not looking at the, to the decimal point, but how good is he? As a player or at maths? Well, as a, as a personal tutor at maths. 
It's just <laughs> a little it... bit of an odd picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you that, concentrate? To be honest, it was that long ago. I can't, it was only sort of, it must have been only something very basic. But well, let's see. He was brilliant then. Yeah. He must have been, yeah, he must have been. He, he was better than my dad anyway, that's for sure. Ryan Giggs, trigonometry expert. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. I suppose it's a, a sort of jocular way of introducing the idea, but how, to what extent, given that you were born with talent mm-hmm. and you've done what all of us would have loved to have done, spent a life playing football, earning a living playing football, yeah. highs and lows, but a lot of experience at Wembley, a mm-hmm. couple of playoff wins, yeah. Um a brutal disappointment in losing an FA Cup final, but let's get to it. You played in an FA Cup final, yeah. played internationally. To what extent is that life of immersion with footballers around you all the time and a football, the, the, the idiosyncratic demands of a football life around you all the time, a preparation for what then becomes an entirely different version of the footballer? Because rather than being as part of a, a big family, yeah. One of the things about football life is you're on your own. Yeah, yeah. So what kind of preparation is it when you've got what you had for what comes next? It gives you a little insight because you've always got someone there who has been there and done it. So you've first-hand I had someone who I could go to and ask for advice. And But nothing prepares you until you're thrown into the deep end of being a professional. There's nothing. I'm, I had an old steely coach called Bobby Downs who's very experienced youth team manager at Blackburn. And I remember him saying, I left school at 16 and we went into a room and he said, congratulations, lads. Look round the room. He says, one of you will probably make it in here. <laughs> and I remember looking round thinking, God, there's 20 of us in here. And he's a good player. He's a good player. He's better than me. And I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is going to be tough. And, and, it, ha- and it, what it has been. It's any professional who's had an experience in playing the game, it's full of ups and downs. If I was going to give any advice to anybody going in to have a career in professional football, that's what the one thing I would say. Prepare yourself, because the emotions it can change from week to week. You can be riding high one week, next week you can get injured, there can be a disappointment around the corner. So uh, mentally, you've got, you've got to be prepared to go into it, because it's challenging. I've always felt that it can be a, a quite a pitiless existence, because I think everybody is taught... Not only just to look after themselves, but to try and push other people down. Mm. Whether you're talking within a dressing room, or a manager who might need you but not like you, or an owner who doesn't want you know you know all the strata of it. Yet we all stay hopelessly in love with it, which yeah. is the you know. The well, that's that's the beauty of football, isn't it? We all keep going back for more, and like what you say, there's there's, there's nothing prepared. I mean, I was looking at Jordan Jones, for example, who was at Kilmarnock with myself last year. He set up a goal in Europe last week, came on and, and did really well. Came on again in the old firm, was doing, was doing well, and within a blink of an eye, he goes into a stupid tackle, gets sent off, hurts himself, out for a couple of months. That's, that's what football's like. I spoke to him the other day and I said, you've just got to learn from it because that's what, that's what football is. And that's a perfect example of, of what it can be like. There's no industry like it, really. It's, it is dog-eat-dog, like you say. Mm. And that never changes when you're 18, 19 to like I am now, 34, 35. You've got to look after yourself. You have to have a, a, a determination, a steely determination to succeed. And that, that never changes. What I was joking about was this brilliant piece that we'll, we'll come back and touch on a little bit because it said a lot of interesting things. Yeah. But yeah, this brilliant piece for Unscripted, which I suppose was for the club, for Manchester United. I yeah, know. yeah, yeah. It did what a lot of us, it, it talked about what a lot of us dream about. Like, so, for example, 
you go down to Wembley as a United fan then, mm -hmm. I don't know if you are or you aren't now, maybe one of the United, and you see your dad lifting the cup, you see your dad winning something at Wembley. That must inject in it, because we all get, well, if, if, all of us love this, but we all get born with the idea that maybe the glory could happen to us. And even, you know, at 56, you go to sleep at night dreaming of scoring that goal. When it's all gone and it was never really there, yeah. you still do. And I wonder to, to what extent you've been able to keep alive the, the beauty of it, the, the romanticism of it, when football buffets you all the time, particularly people. Well, I, I look back at my childhood and I, I think of things like what you're saying there, going to FA Cup finals and seeing things, going to training with my dad on a Sunday and being around what people would see as so-called soup. To me, it was the norm. They were just my, my dad's workmates, my dad's work colleagues, going down to Wembley with my mum, uh, with all the players' wives and families, and then coming back on the train with the, with the FA Cup or whatever trophy that they've won. These are memories that I have that I'll cherish forever, but the one thing that it did give me was a determination to think, oh, I hope I can do this when I'm older. I could see the success that my dad was having and the quality of life it gave me, us as a family, us as a, around us. As, like, obviously, you live in a nice house, you go on nice holidays. You, and I always looked up to him and thought, I hope one day I can provide that for my family by doing what dad's done. So I knew I had to work hard and... And, and make sacrifices to do that. So that might have been a conscious thought even before you knew you were particularly good. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, this was from when I was very young. Yeah, I'd, I'd go away and see things, and as a, as a child growing up, you you go to. I mean, like we say, there when I played in the FA Cup final, I still remember going to the 1990 Cup final when Man United played Crystal Palace very clearly, and I'd have probably been six, seven years of age, and I remember thinking, God, I hope to God I can walk out at Wembley and the Twin Towers as it was back then and fortunate for me it happened. Can you remember the day much? The, the when, Crystal when I, Palace first of all, no because your, your one is just about as dramatic yeah, it was, and yeah. heartbreaking, heartbreaking for, yeah. for lovers of underdogs, yeah, yeah. let's be frank it's Arsenal uh, it was yeah I, I, I can remember the white kit and I can remember the first, the first tie because it went to a replay a couple of nights later I remember Lee Martin scored, the, I didn't go to that because it was a school night but the the first one was the weekend. The so first I, one we like to call, Aberdeen fans like to call the Jim Layton game. The Jim Layton game, that's correct, yeah. I can remember it, I, think, I can't remember the score off the top of my head, but I remember it being a high-scoring game. I remember Ian Wright coming on as a sub, I think, in that game and scored. Wright and Bright were up front. Um, there were some good players on, on, on view. Um, I think Brian Robson scored. And I was just starting to, as a young lad, just starting to get a feel for like football and what it was all about and having my heroes. And It was... Uh, just a fantastic experience to go to and a spectacle and and like any kid when you go to an, to a, um, a spectacle like that an arena like that gives you a taste of something that you want to try and follow your dream of, of becoming a, and doing something yourself so when I suppose when you know you go back yourself that's not really in your mind all that much because no. you're a top pro mm -hmm. you've got huge experience but the did you inherit this beyond I went there when I was young, my dad won this. The, the, the magic of the cup, which people talk a lot about now being a little bit sullied because the, four, the top four in the Premier League, did the magic of the cup always infect you? Was I, don't know where, I don't know if I'm speaking for myself here because I, 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 all, I look back at instances like what I've said where I went to watch my dad play in FA Cup fans and I had that thought in my head I would love to get there one day myself. So for me, the, playing in the FA Cup final was, without a shadow of a doubt, the biggest day of my career. It was, it was something that 
I think back of what the experience was like walking out uh, the anthems and the, I think I remember Alexandra Burke play, of singing singing the song before the game and I just remember standing there thinking this is just the pinnacle like hairs on the back of your neck was one out, one out, were up and what do you like in a situation like that? Are you bottled up tension? Are you completely relaxed and ready for the battle? You've already you've already noted more things than a lot of players yeah. who I speak to who are like, no, the, the actual day passed me by because it was all about the game. And no, I, that was one thing I wanted to do because I haven't been a top player. I haven't been like a Roy Keane or, or my dad or a Brian Robson or a Gerrard or, who play in them every, every year. I knew Hull City getting to an FA Cup final was we were the underdogs. We were lucky to get there. We had a, we had quite an easy run getting to the final, but we did have a couple of games. The quarter semi final were quite difficult, if I can remember rightly. But to get to the FA Cup final, I knew it was probably going to be a one-off uh, to play on a stage like that. So I wanted to try and grab it with both hands and and enjoy the day. I remember waking up in the morning and walking around the golf course at the Grove Hotel. Um, the helicopters were going round. Just TV. And I remember thinking, it's a big day, this. Butterflies? Butterflies. I was nervous, very nervous. But um, on the bus driving up to Wembley, and one of them life experiences where you look back and you think, this is just all the hard work, all the disappointments, everything that you grow to, you grow up to try and achieve something in your life as a footballer. It was one of those days where I felt as if oh, this is what this is what you play football for, and it was it was a great day. The only thing that put a sour note on it was obviously the results. You, you mentioned, I mean, from my notes, are you, are you somebody who liked having played the semi-final at Wembley? Because I think you beat... We beat Sheffield United. Derby, when a Sheffield United. Yeah. In a really dull, low-scoring, eight-goal thriller. <laughs> yeah. Which you watched from the bench. I was on the bench that what game. What the hell? I know. Cheers, Dad. <laughs> I remember having the up with him as well because he left me out. No, he changed the form. We went, we went we, that season we played a lot, 3-5-2 against the, the teams where we were the underdogs, really. We made ourselves a bit more solid defensively. Um, but in certain games where he felt as if we could go and get after teams, he changed to a 4-3-3. And we played 4-3-3 that day in the semi-final against Sheffield United. And it worked for us because it was a high-scoring game. and It was a tough game, if I remember rightly. The first day where Dad noticed a certain Harry Maguire. I remember him coming off purring about Harry that day. Mm. And then we went back to a three, obviously playing against uh, Arsenal in the final was a, a different kind of game. We went into it with different tactics and... And a formation, so fortunately I got the nod to play. And then, so you're, you're, you're talking about the bottled up tension and adrenaline and whatever, and you know, you're on the bus. Are you one who's reaching out to other players you can see are suffering? Was it just bonhomie and lads out together and we've got nothing to lose here? What was it? it was a little bit like that. I think it was more of a case of, come on lads, this is what you work hard all your life for, let's go and have a good go at it. And, and I think you could tell by the, the opening stages of the game, we came out really strong and went two, two goals up. You two not up in eight minutes. Yeah, that could tell its own story. Probably went ahead looking back now in the game too, too quick, really. Why do people say that? Do you, do, do you believe that now, retrospectively? I know the math says that they went and scored three goals, one of them in deep, in, well, in extra time. Yeah, I remember, I remember being 2 nil up and looking at the clock and I remember it clearly. Thinking, Christ Almighty, we've got 82 minutes to hold on. <laughs> you, when you go 2 0 up in a game, you think, in my mind, I was thinking, geez, we're going to win here. Yeah. I remember thinking that. And I remember going up for a corner and having a header cleared off the line by Kieran Gibbs. For three. I think, it, I think about it probably every day. I think, what, would it, what if that had 
dropped over the goalkeeper and went into the bottom corner. But your connection was good. Yeah, it, came, he, it was a great clearance. Excelled rather, yeah. yeah, it was a great clearance off the line. I remember thinking, if only that had went in, but they got a goal. I give the free kick away, actually. Alan McGregor should have saved it, though. So I'm not, I'm not taking all the responsibility. <laughs> and they, they, it was 2-1 at half-time. And it was... But, I mean, OK. And then it, it, the, the guy who pops that away, Cazorla's a magician. Yeah, He's still... Yeah. Yeah, you know, running games with half a leg yeah. at Villarreal when he shouldn't really be walking, he's yeah. just a magician. So he I was. accept that you're playing against magical football. And yeah, and then we conceded towards the end of the game, made it two two, took to extra time, and then we conceded in the second half of extra time. I think it was when yeah, Ramsey stuck it in. Ramsey. So it was a it was a disappointment in the end, but when I look back on it, it was without a shadow of a doubt the whole spectacle of it, the FA Cup. I remember Steve Harper saying to me after we won the semi final. Just look forward to the final, lads, because he played a couple of a couple of with uh, Newcastle, because that's the, the finals like what we've just experienced there, but on steroids, and that was the best way anyone could have described the the day, the FA Cup final. Everything about it was just amazing. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Maybe it's a chance to talk through one or two of the participants that helped get you there because you've said really impressive things about Tom Huddleston in the past, mm-hmm. about his ability. Fantastic ability. Try, try and paint a picture of that guy that goes beyond what he does with a ball because he's a, something of an anomaly. Anybody who appreciates football can see that, although he maybe wasn't the fastest athletically, yeah. he was one of these players who had more... T- you can't even work out how somebody creates a bubble of time and space around them. Create always had time and space. I remember whenever I played with Tom, he was one of them players where, where is he? Get, get Tom the ball because he'll just calm everything down. He's both, both foot, equally as good with his left as he is with his right. Could strike a ball as clean as anyone you could ever see. Um, just had a natural talent, made everything look easy. And I think the players who do that with a footballer are, are the gifted ones, you know, who can make everything look so simple. And he was just one of them players. As you say, mobility-wise, that was probably the, the one thing that stopped him going on to be... Elite. Elite, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. If he, if he had the mobility of, of a, a Vieira or a, a someone like that who could get up and down the pitch, then there's absolutely no doubt in my mind Tom Huddleston would have been as, as good as you get in, in terms of it because of his natural ability on Is the ball. Is that one of life's cruel practical jokes... 
was could he have been given more physical athleticism or could could he have That's just looked the, for it? More? The hand that you dealt. I mean, you've either got it or you haven't. I mean, he, was, he wasn't built in a way to be as mobile as as other people, but by God, what, what he lacked in mobility, he had in he had in. So if he'd lived in the, the 60s or the 70s, when you know it wasn't all about athletic ability, it was all about talent, yeah. then he'd have looked more in his era. He would have, yeah. He'd, it, Tom's one of them players, he was that good, technically, why, he was such a good technician, he would have played in any, any era and had a, had a good career, as he's had. But yeah, maybe, maybe in the 60s and 70s, he would have, he'd have probably suited him a bit more. What kind of character? Very laid back. One of them where he sits in the corner and you don't quite know what he's thinking. Um, but a good lad. We had a really good dressing room, actually. I've often spoke about playing for my dad. Obviously, being the manager's son, it can be difficult in no matter what line of work that you're in. But that dressing room was, was great at handling that situation of me being in there. We had some good characters and um, really good set of lads. So that, that is an issue. If you've got ability, it really shouldn't matter if the manager's your dad. Or not. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like you found, well, you talked about people kicking you, mm. or being told to kick you, or looking forward to kick you, just because you're Steve Bruce's son. Yeah, that was when I was young, yeah. Listen. You come to terms with that pretty quickly or you don't survive, right? Of course you do. I mean, it, it gave me an insight from early doors where, like what I touched the base on before, it's, it's difficult to be a footballer. And when I was a kid, I remember, like we say, I remember playing in games where young lads... 10, 11 year old would come up to me and say Steve Bruce's son I'm, I'm going to kick shy out of you today I've been told by my dad on the touchline he's a Liverpool fan or a City fan or and I'd be like alright okay and 9 times out of 10 it would, it would happen you know so it, 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 it toughened me up it was, a, it was a good learning curve for can me can you remember dealing with that at 11 or 12 and, and, and what you, how you reacted uh, because that goes beyond football if somebody's out to get you in life, yeah. we all react differently. And can, I be honest, can I be honest, Graham? I was, I was very good when I was 11. I was, I, I, Dad will tell you himself, I, I was a striker and I, used to, I scored all the goals for my county, my district, and, and I had a couple of years and Dad would tell you himself, he'd come and watch and I'd, I'd, I'd score. We'd play Liverpool boys, for example, from my district, Stockport boys, and we'd go and score. I'd score four, we'd win 4 nil. And then the following week, we'd go to St Helens and we'd win 2 0. I'd score two. And th- this happened every week. So, and I think I, I knew I had ability. Mm-hmm. But then when I got to 14, I don't know what happened to me, but I, I went from being pretty much top of the tree in, of my age group to near enough the bottom. I didn't grow. I lost my balance. I was absolutely useless, low on confidence. Got released from Man United uh, at 16. And it, it, was, it, was, it was tough, really tough. I got a lifeline and went to Blackburn at 16. And I got my strength, left home, moved into digs. Moved, I moved into a lodge with 25 lads in Blackburn on the Blackburn training ground. Mm-hmm. I left the boy and I was a man within a couple of weeks of living with all the lads. And it, that was a different experience. Spending for yourself. Spending for myself. And I just got my confidence back. And whether it was a change of scenery, moving home, whatever it was, I got my confidence and gained a little bit of strength and I got back a little bit of what I felt I had at 11, 12-year-old. Mm. I don't know if it was a growth spurt or what it was. Um, you really, retrospectively, haven't come to a conclusion about what it was. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was growing or... I just went... <laughs> my, my family will tell you, it, it, it was bizarre. You went from being... My dad would say, I, I remember thinking, oh, I've got a superstar on my hands here at 11, 12. 
And then at 14, 15, he was saying, oh, Christ, what the hell's happened to him? You know, it was one of them, but... Um, that, that tests your metal. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. I don't know whether it was, if it was mental or it was physical growing or... I don't know what it was, really. And can you, can you sketch in the darker areas then about Blackburn? Simply, n- never mind Steve Bruce. No, no mum and dad? Or I was on my own. That was the biggest. Yeah. When I went to Blackburn and I was in digs, it was, you're on your own now. And I was with a couple of tough fellas, Bobby Downs, Robert Kelly, really good um, youth team coaches. were very successful at Blackburn at the time. They, was, they were often getting to the FA Youth Cup finals and winning leagues at that, that under-17s, under-19s. Who is the senior manager this time? Uh, Graham, Graham Sooners was our manager. But we didn't really have a lot to do with Graham because we were in the academy no. and there were two separate buildings. Is it the same when he's winning the League Cup against Spurs? That was it, yeah, yeah. round about then. Yeah. Uh, I remember going to that game. Yeah. Matt Janssen would have been playing in that game. In Matt Janssen was there, he was a first-team player. Yeah. Very good player before his, uh, yeah. before his accident, unfortunately. Bike crash, yeah. Bike crash. I couldn't have wished for a better education in what it took to be a professional footballer. I went from Man United where it was all technical and academy football where you, you go in a couple of nights a week after school to work on your skills and I went from that to leaving school and all of a sudden it was a, a results driven industry where it was we need to win and we were playing for our livelihoods really rather than just enjoying it and it put a steely determination in myself I remember we didn't have the I've said before we didn't have um, as technically gifted squad youth team squad as probably some of the clubs around at the time but we had a, a group of lads who because we, I don't know if it's because we lived together or what, but we had a real good team spirit and what we lacked for in natural ability, we made up for in determination and hard work. And we, we went on and won the league, the FA Premier League, under-19 level. We got to FA Youth Cup finals. Uh, so it was a really good, enjoyable These in those, in, period in those of days life. must have felt oh, it as was, gigantic oh, it was great. A, an achievement as, as winning against Arsenal would have done. Well, we went to Aston Villa and we played Villa uh, in the FA Premier League under-19s. And um, we played at Ewood Park, the home leg, and then Villa Park in the away leg. And Villa had some really good players. Liam Ridgewell, Steve Davis, Gary Cahill, the Moore brothers. Uh, I remember there's so much expected of them. The, uh, Peter Whittingham. They, they had a really, really good team. It, and I'd say probably eight out of the starting 11 went on to have really good careers. Which is a big percentage. My team, we had myself, Paul Gallagher, Jay McEverley. Ian Black, who had a little spell up in Scotland. It was about four or five who made a career for themselves. Nowhere near like the career that... But I think we beat them 5-2, 5-3 over the two legs. and We won the, we won the Premier League, so... It was um, a time that I look back on in my life that was, that was fantastic. And I remember after the game, I signed my first professional contract at Blackburn. I signed a new three-year deal. And that was when I f- started feeling like I was... Over the, over the difficult period of between 14 and 16. It's a hell of a test for yeah, any was, human being. I yeah, think to, was, to feel, um, I can do this, I can do this, now I can't. Yeah. What's the cause? What do I do? How didn't, do I react? Didn't know what it was. Other people fold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe I had an inner determination to think, oh, do you know what I think it was, Graham? I think it was getting released from Man United. Um, that, that put something in me where I thought I'm going to prove them wrong. Maybe because Dad had been there and... I'd been brought up with a place, I might have been on Easy Street, and no matter what level of, or age group you're at, if you're ever on Easy Street as a footballer, you, you think, think you're you just going to coast along. Probably looking back, maybe. Probably just thought, ah, Dad's the captain, I know everyone, I know all the coaches, mm-hmm. I know all the, I know the place like the back of my hand, I know everyone involved yeah. with the place. I just took it in my stride, I took it for granted, I probably just 
felt I would coast along and eventually get in the reserves and the first team. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. This is, an e- this is not an easy one for you, but I know that United now, we were there a couple of years ago filming, mm. uh, courtesy of Quentin Fortune. We went in and we went to, you turned at Cliff, yeah. didn't you? Um, maybe you had time at Carrington, I don't know, but you, you've, you've seen Carrington, you know what it's like. I got released at Carrington, <laughs> it was just being built so, at the sorry time. That. Yeah, I can't remember Bastard getting called Carrington. to Carrington, didn't all the very yeah. good men. Yeah, but I did my, the, all you, my education. You can the, see the difference the automatically. It's, it's, I'm not calling the cliff rough and ready, but there's a big difference big in what's difference. been invested. It, it feels quite Rolls Royce when you go there. And one of the things that I've often talked about was that Quinton and the coaches, one coach who'd been there since George Best was a kid. Yeah said to us, come and watch the, the cage. Now, the cage is not small, mm. but it's a cage where they've introduced the idea that it'll be non-stop football, um, ball off the roof, ball off the walls, with an idea about getting yeah. the kids out of their comfort zone into the idea of um, street football. Yeah. Where it's a little bit rough and ready and where they want the minimum intervention. from. There's not actual ref. There's a coach going, I'll blow that, I won't blow that. And I saw on that day, it just happened to be Mason Greenwood. Yeah get a, a dig from somebody, five minutes later, dribble past them and punch them in the same movement. Mm. They, they were like, oh, do we send him off? Don't we send him off? Oh, that's what we want to see, but okay, red card for a swing of the fist and yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know, can you understand, or at your stage, should there have been more putting maybe kids like you with talent out of their comfort zone? Was it all on you that you assumed a little bit about this will go fine because my, my, my career path is meant to be this yeah, way yeah. or were they already lacking a little bit of that let's dig the boys out uh, I think there was a, there was an element of digging the boys out because I worked with Eric Harrison um, the legendary the best I mean he took us some training sessions he wasn't our actual main coach but he would take the odd session so no matter what session Eric took you knew you had a proper session and if you were if you were coasting along, then you you would get a rocket up the backside. You Can know, you give us a sense of it. Can you break one of his sessions down? I remember doing a, a session of his. I remember being about fourteen in the cliff, the old cliff, on a Tuesday night, hard astroturf pitch. He says, "Right, lads, we're doing a, the, the one to six. My my famous run. Anyone will know. Whoever's worked with me, you'll know what my one to six is." And I remember thinking, one to six. What's this going to be?" And it was basically run one pitch length jog. Run two, jog one. Run three, jog one. I remember being in the corner of the cliff, spewing my guts up <laughs> about half eight on a Tuesday night. Absolutely, like, experienced something I'd never experienced before, thinking, what the hell is this? And that was Eric, you know, he, he put a work ethic into you. That football's hard work, you know what I mean? And that's one thing I remember from Eric, that his, his sessions Once you've were run tough. Because that, that, you started your session with the, the one to six. That's, that that's was towards big... the, you'd always do a running session at the end. You'd have at your football, you'd have your football work, and it was as if it, I, I look back now. It was probably Eric's way of you do the technical stuff, and you'd you'd have your little games and your little dribbling neck drills and all the rest of it. But don't and then walk he'd, off like a cop. Don't, don't, thinking, don't, don't because think my touch is yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I'm, this is yeah, I'm done now. I'm going to go and get in my car and drive home. Right, lads, one more last little thing. I'm going to put a little run on for you at the end. And I think it was just Eric's way of making you know what, what it took to become a professional footballer. And I never met him, but his name comes up, particularly from you know the most famous of, of probably your era was the, the crew that came through together. They were a little bit older than me. Yeah. But I was fortunate enough, obviously, to get you, to know quite a few. But you saw their progression when them. they were at the age yeah. you're talking about you were at now. Yes, and Eric worked with them all the time. He was their, their coach. They speak in the, about his, him in, yeah. in reverential. He was a father figure to them all. And I think Eric realised as well that he had a special group there. 
I mean, there's not many groups of youth team players who come through and have the, the careers that the, the Giggsy and, the, and David and the Neville brothers and Scolzi and all these people had. They, it, they were a special group. And I remember going to watch them in FA Youth Cup runs and stuff when I was a really young kid at United. Dad used to take me along and they were really destined to be top, top players. That, when you were watching them, so you're watching them maybe about 12, 13 years old yourself? Yeah, maybe a little bit younger than that, 92, 93. Uh, I was a little bit, bit yeah, I've been about 9, 10, 11 year old. And, you, and you, can, you could see then that they stood out? Yeah, I remember going to watch them in an FA Youth Cup final. I think they played Crystal Palace and uh, all of them were playing. And I remember Nicky Butt did a scissor kick from the, from the 18, edge of the 18-yard box and as a 10-year-old like, I remember thinking, wow, what was that? Like, it was amazing. And the, obviously the technical ability that David Beckham had and all these young players, it was... It was, a good, it was a good learning curve watching these young lads come through, you know. When you listen to them, and, and, and they've become a little cottage industry of their own mm-hmm. because they're all pretty strong characters. And they've all done all right for themselves, work. haven't they? <laughs> I'd say that's a reasonable phrase, yeah. Yeah. I do hope you enjoyed that big interview, which was first released as an exclusive to our socios, our members who support us. If you'd like to get these interviews on the first day they're available, it's time for you to join us. To become a socio, and for only £2.99 per month, you'll get all our content entirely ad-free and ahead of its release on the main feed. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to unlock our entire archive. By joining us, you will help support this independent podcast and we'll blow virtual kisses towards you. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.